look with us. We're in Romans chapter 10. We just started this chapter last time. Um, So we'll back up maybe and quickly look at the first couple of verses again and then try to walk down through here. So we've we've saw in chapter 9 that by the grace of God, those that were saved were saved only by that grace. That God's uh, God's intervention in the lives of man is what turns man, not anything man has, but it's by the grace of God. And we saw that uh, really contrary to man, that the Jew, the majority of the Jews rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. They did not submit themselves to the righteousness of God as we're going to see in chapter 10. And a great number of Gentiles did. And by comparison, if you were to compare the numbers, more Gentiles believed than there were Jews as time went on. And so how did that happen? Well, the answer is it's by the grace of God. But what was going on in the Jews' minds that caused them to reject the one? They, I mean, they're holding on to that Old Testament. They're holding to the prophecies of the Old Testament. They believe that there's a Messiah coming. So what was it that caused them to reject the Lord Jesus when He did come? So Paul starts here saying, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. The desire of the man of God for these folks is that they would be born again. That is the single most greatest need that there is in the world today is that people would be saved. There would be a lot of problems that would take care of themselves if people were saved. And you know that it may be chopped up and the God's truth is people don't like to say, well, they need to be saved. We sure don't like to say that about our family. That's not an easy thing to say or to admit or to utter. But the God's truth is people's lives are out of control, they're away from the Word of God, there's not a love for the church present in their life, there's no care nor desire to grow in the understanding of the Word of God, and that is because they are lacking salvation. Israel needed to be saved. The majority of people in our world today need to be saved. But now, what about Israel, though? They've got a zeal of God. Paul says, I bear them record. I testify to the fact that they have a zeal of God. They've got a desire to be pleasing unto God. How could they be rejected if they've got a... That word zeal, it means a burning. They've got a burning desire to please God. I believe Paul had a zeal of God but it was not according to knowledge. So full discernment or recognition. They wanted to please God, but the truth is they knew nothing about the God that they wanted to please. They lacked knowledge of who God was and just how holy that God is. In verse 3, For they being ignorant not to know by lack of information or lack of intelligence. 
So the problem is not a lack of intelligence. I don't believe that part of it. It is a lack of information in the mind and in the heart of man. So how do we come to this lack? Is, is all of this not revealed in the Scriptures? It is revealed in the Scriptures. Is it not uh, taught and preached by the apostles? It is very well taught and preached. And up to this point, I guess I, I could have, if I'd have thought before right now, to went back through Romans and how many Old Testament verses that Paul has quoted up to chapter 10 in this book of Romans. All of this doctrine that he's taught, this doctrine of justification by faith alone, not of works, not of the Old Testament law, not of the works of man, but in Jesus Christ, Paul proved everything that he's taught with a multitude of Old Testament scriptures. It was there. They knew it. But you see, their mind and their hearts have been darkened by the devil, and though they know it, they just can't see it. Now that's the case so often today. Paul says it, and if you just take 15 minutes and just ponder what he says here in Timothy, that they are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge. That's the same word, recognition or full discernment. They were never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul growed up underneath one of the greatest teachers of the Old Testament law that there was. History says that Gamal was one of the, the greatest teachers of that day. And his life, by his parents, he was sent. That His education was paid for by them. And he growed up learning the Old Testament Scriptures. Learning the law and the prophets. And I believe that's evidenced by his preaching. Paul knew the Scriptures. In this day, there was no printing press and they didn't have a book that had it all in one. They, it was handwritten. Scribes, they hand wrote it. They hand copied it. And it was in scrolls. So for you to have the book of Isaiah, you had a whole lot more than one scroll to have the book of Isaiah, it wasn't easy to come by and it wasn't affordable to the majority. But Paul's able, as he does in this book of Romans, Paul knows the Scriptures. We also, they didn't have then, we've got chapter and verse. I can tell you turn to Romans 10 verse 3 and in five seconds you can turn there. But now imagine if there was no chapter and verse. Be hard to find your place. So Paul was raised up and taught from a young man the Word of God and he knew it in such a way that a pile of it he had memorized. He had to have it memorized. Right. Had to. And yet, he did not know who the Lord was when the Lord appeared to him. How in the world can that be possible? His mind and his heart was darkened. You know, John, John in his gospel refers to darkness. Paul uses darkness in his letters. The other gospels, they speak of death and resurrection. That's referred to in the epistles. Paul writes that they were blinded 
it's all this it's all different words for the same condition that man who's fallen in sin the devil has under his control and though we learn and understand the scriptures man is not able to come to the recognition of what the scripture is truly saying we know by the word of god here in romans the law said that you're guilty you can't live up to this and you must have a sacrifice for your sins that's what the law said you know what man gets out of the law well i'm a pretty good fella you know what's wrong man's blinded to what the word of god is really saying it's only by the illumination of the Holy Ghost that man can come to the recognition of this. So listen to what, where they are. They're ignorant of God's righteousness. So their rejection of Jesus was because of an ignorance of God's righteousness. Man today is ignorant of God's righteousness. Man believes and in varying degrees that there's something I'm going to do that is going to please God. There's a prayer that I can pray and that's just going to please God because I've prayed it or because I've done it. I can sing a song and that's going to be accepted to God because I can hit the notes and it sounds pretty and because I've done it. And God's just going to accept that because of me. That's a, that's a lack of knowledge of God's righteousness. God is perfectly holy. There is not, and it's beyond the thinking of man, a God without any blemish nor sin completely and wholly pure. And the picture of God being this big lovable being that's going to hug up every man to himself, that cannot be the case because God said, Moses, if you see me, you're going to be consumed. Man can't look on me and survive. No man has seen my face and lived. Man can't come to God in the condition that he's in. Man's good works cannot be pleasing to God because they are muddled, they are polluted by his sinful nature and iniquity. And the truth is the majority of good works that are done, they're done that you could see them and that you might say, boy, he's a good fellow. That's what the Pharisees did. They prayed in the streets. They wore their long robes. The motivation for all of that was not to glorify God, but that man would look upon them and think of themselves as some high spiritual creature. God's righteousness is this. If you're going to be accepted, you must be perfect without any blemish whatsoever. Well, I've not had a blemish this week. Well, that's well and good, but you've had a blemish 
Therefore, this past week is immaterial to the situation. You're blemished and you're not acceptable. Well, I've read 78 chapters this week. Well, that's wonderful. That's good. I believe Paul read much more than that in a week. But Paul was not acceptable to God and neither will you be acceptable unto God because you've read something. Well, I've prayed and back, back in the uh, old days they'd take a scourge and whip themselves while they prayed that their flesh would be in agony that their prayer might be more acceptable unto God. Paul says if you give your body to be burned you're nothing. I can't think of any greater sacrifice than a man could make. But if I set myself on fire for the glory of God, that means nothing without the charity. That's agape is the word. That love from God unto man. You know how man's acceptable? In Jesus Christ alone. You know how the church and how glorious the church is, the called out, and those that God has redeemed and placed His Spirit within them. Do you know how they're acceptable? In Jesus Christ alone. And when trouble befalls me, I can fall on my face and pray because of Jesus Christ and Him alone. Now if I'm going to get down and say, look God, I've been good this week. I've done many good works. I've not been like most people here. I want a blessing from you. Now who does that sound like? The Pharisee that prayed in the temple. We've got a parable of that man. He wanted to talk about what he done. But the one that was justified was the one that smote his breast and said, Be merciful to me, a sinner. Nothing to claim for himself. Man's ignorant of how righteous God is. Man thinks he's going to offer something to God and God's going to accept him because of his works. Now that's what the Jew thought. They were ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. Now they misunderstood what God would accept and that misunderstanding led them to go and establish their own righteousness. Because they were unable to understand that God required perfection, they thought that they could measure up by a work that they could do. See, knowing the Scripture is very important. Getting your doctrine right is very important. Moving tradition out of the way to understand what is God truly saying to me from this Scripture? What did God mean when He had Paul pin this down? It's very important to have right doctrine because being wrong about the righteousness of God <clears throat> led the Jew to believe that they were going to do good enough and God was just going to accept them based on what they've done. They went about to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. So the root of the problem is ignorance of the truth. They didn't know how righteous and holy that God was. 
because they didn't know how righteous God was, they thought they could do it themselves. That I can be good and I can be a Pharisee and I can keep the law closer than most other people on the face of the earth and God's going to accept me because of that. And because now of the ignorance, them establishing their own righteousness, they didn't need to submit themselves to the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. They didn't subordinate to the Word of God because they didn't need to. You see that? They thought that God would accept them because they were ignorant of God's righteousness. And because they thought that God would accept them, they did not need a sacrifice to take away their sins. We don't need Jesus. We don't need to be saved. We're acceptable as we are. That thinking and that error and understanding of the Word of God caused them to fall and miss the sacrifice that God gave for salvation. For God, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. The end. To set out for a definite point. The point aimed at. The termination. So this is the picture that we're setting out on a journey and you can see out on the horizon where you're going. That's the point aimed at. And once we reach that point, the destination has been achieved. You're aiming your arrow. You're aiming your gun. And you've got a mark that you're aiming for. And when you pull the trigger, when your arrow or your bullet hits that mark, the goal has been met. You've reached the end of that journey. Well, Jesus is the end. He's the termination, the point aimed at, of the law of righteousness. So the law then, as God gave out the law, the Lord Jesus was the end of that. He was what the law was aimed at. The law was not a, uh, uh, an end of a dispensation of God. Now that's the way, as corrupt as that is, well, God gave the law then as a dispensation for them to be saved. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The law was given with Jesus Christ being aimed at. All of the law was there that I might recognize that I need a Savior. All of the sacrifices and the feasts were there to point me to the end, the goal of that, the type and shadow that those were, they were there to point me to the one that God was going to send to pay for sins. The high priest that went in before God as a go-between between me and God and between God and me. That high priest was a picture and a shadow of the great high priest that was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, let's look in Galatians chapter number 3.
verse number 24, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So God gave the law. God meant it when He gave it. And it was given that I might recognize my need of a Savior. The only time that I'll ever cry out for a Savior is when I'm in need of saving. The law was given to reveal to me my need of a Savior. It was not given to help me improve myself. It wasn't given that I might be a better man. The law was given with Jesus Christ as the end point. It was the schoolmaster. The one that took the little children from their home and brought them to their class that they might learn and grow and brought them from school back home. He was the head of the school. He was there to make sure those children learned what they needed to know. The law was there that we might learn what we need to know. What do we need to know? That we're hopelessly lost and that God has sent a sacrifice that would take away our sins that we could be redeemed. But once faith comes, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. There's no more need for a schoolmaster once we reach the end point of salvation. Is that not true? If you graduate high school, you don't need a principal at high school anymore. You're no longer there and you're no longer under the schoolmaster. He's got no authority over you because you're no longer attending that school. Well, when faith comes, the law having the end point of Jesus Christ. Once the church is under Jesus Christ, I'm no longer striving by the law to be acceptable unto God. Well, you better not lie or you won't be acceptable unto God. You better do good or you won't be acceptable unto God. No, the law of righteousness is done away in the Lord Jesus Christ. Righteousness for those in Jesus does not depend on what I've done by the law. It doesn't depend on whether I'm a good fella this week or not. Righteousness in Jesus is sealed up in Him. And I am today righteous by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and by that sacrifice alone. Seeking righteousness by the law is over with in Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean we're free to live how we want? We've covered that over and over and over again, but we always feel like we need to, we need to continually say that. Absolutely not. God forbid, as He says in Romans 6, I'm not free to sin because I'm no longer under the law. But God's regenerated me. And no more is it I'm going to work hard in order to get paid. 
but out of the love of the Spirit of God, that charity that's already been mentioned, that agape love that God has put in the hearts of them that He saved and regenerated, I've got a desire in the inward man to do what is pleasing unto God. So that those that are able to live in sin and contrary to the Word of God with no inward conviction, no inward trouble, no inward sorrow of their failure, that's a sure sign that they are unregenerate. It is impossible for someone that is saved to go on in sin and never have conviction over that. It's impossible. I I know. I know that's a hard saying. But it is the Word of God. God. God's supposed to be dwelling in that temple. I, I believe God can correct His children. And so, for Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone that believeth. In Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. I know we've heard that many times. But a lot of times it is presented, we're not under the law, we're under grace. And that's presented as Jesus has destroyed the law and it no longer matters how I live anymore. Well, that's not true either. Jesus says, don't think that I've come to destroy, to do away with the law. I've come to fulfill it. I've come to meet its requirements. That means to make full or to replete. It's you've got a sack and you're filling her up with sand and you fill it all the way up to the top, and there's no more that you can get in there. He come to fill up the law. And in His perfect life, He fulfilled all the requirements of righteousness by the law. He met them. He did not sin. He was perfect. And then in His death, He met the requirements of the payment for those that had come short and failed the grace of God. So that in them that are in Christ Jesus, the law's fulfilled. They are perfectly righteous because Christ has been imputed onto them. That last song we sung, His blood is on my soul. That Jesus Christ has paid the debt of my sin that I might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So that those that are saved and those that are in Jesus, the law's fulfilled. I'm not striving to fulfill the law for my acceptance unto God. Jesus has fulfilled, already done. It is finished. He's already resurrected and He's already at the right hand of God. The work of the law is finished and fulfilled and it is imputed from Jesus unto us that believe the gospel and are saved. But it's not destroyed now. The law is still there and we still have to measure up 
to the law. That's not a contradiction either. The church measures up to the law because Jesus fulfilled it. In Jesus, the church measures up and the church is righteous. But those outside of the Christ, they're still being measured by the law. Think about this now. That they have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. They've went about to establish their own. And Christ is the end of the law of righteousness. So here is a people that have said, I am just as righteous as the Lord Jesus. Not with words now, but do you see God has sent His Son that man could be righteous. And here's man saying, well, my righteousness is going to work as well. What I'm saying is that I measure up to the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can fulfill it just as good as He fulfilled it. Now that's a foolish statement. But that's what man says in rejecting. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth shall pass, one jotter and one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Not one jot or tittle of the law is going to fall to the ground. So that sinners that are brought into the kingdom of God, the whole law has to be fulfilled in order for them to be allowed in. So that says now that if I've sinned in one point, God cannot let that one jot or tittle of the law drop to the ground that I could be brought in. You see, that's, that's what he's saying there. You've got the standard of God. And in order for God to let a sinner in, He's got to drop the standard to let him go. But in doing that, a portion of the law has to fall to the earth. The law cannot fail. Not one jot or one tittle, the dotting of the eye or the crossing of the T. I mean, we're talking about a letter that you're, you can't even miss one dot on the eye. Now that's being awful picky, ain't it? That's God's righteousness, perfection, holiness, pureness. It's required by God. You can't miss one dot of the eye or one crossing of the T in order to be accepted with God. I, the God's truth, we are hopeless outside of Jesus. Not waiting to be hopeless, not sitting around wondering, well, maybe I can get in or maybe not. It's plainly manifested that man's without hope of his own works and of his own self. But Jesus came and fulfilled it. And Jesus crossed every T and Jesus dotted every I and to them that's brought into Him, they're accepted by His righteousness. Nothing left for me to do. If it's fulfilled, if the sack is full of sand, how am I going to add any more sand to it? It's either full and it's either fulfilled or it's not. Well, Jesus, by the Word of God, He fulfilled it. 
the bag is full. I've got nothing left to add to that for my righteousness. I'm not doing anything to be accepted with God. I'm accepted in Jesus. And to try to establish my own works alongside, that is to rob Jesus of His glory and of His honor and take His credit and His glory and give it to me. God said, I believe, in Isaiah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to misquote this terribly, but the idea of it's there. My glory is mine, and I will not give it to another. God's not going to allow that to happen. This is the work of Jesus in salvation. So let's read now maybe three verses together here. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is, to bring Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Both of these are out of the Old Testament. Both of these are out of the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. So in Leviticus chapter 18 verse 5, and I realize we've, Paul has quoted this verse already in Romans. We've already turned and read it. Let's turn one more time. Leviticus chapter 18 Verse number 5, Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. Now, you could say, you could say there, that in order to keep these statutes, you've got to live in them every day of your life in order to truly keep them. That is true. That's not what he's saying here in Leviticus, though. What he's saying is, if you keep them, you can live. There is a promise of life in the law that if you'll do these things and if you'll keep them all the days of your life, you can live. Boy, that sounds good. You can't do it. It sounds good until you realize I've got no way of doing this. When Moses gave the law and he presented it to the people and they said, all the things you've said, we'll do. It's what man says. I'll do that. I'll do better. My God, you know where you're going to have to come? God, this is a requirement that I'm unable to keep. I cannot do this. So I can't live by the law. If you do them, you'll live. If you break them, you shall surely die. So there is no life then in the law, not because God wasn't joking when He said that. That was the truth. If you do them, you'll live. But the problem was with me. 
the weakness of the flesh. No problem with the law, but I was weak in the flesh and I was unable to do it. I couldn't live by the law. So, Moses describeth the blessedness just like that. The man that doeth them shall live in them. In doing and keeping them, that's where a man shall live. That's the first covenant. There's only two. You can look in the book of Hebrews. There was an old covenant and there was the new introduced by Jesus Christ. The old covenant was, if you do it, you can live. We can't do it. Therefore, we can't live. We all in agreement with the first covenant. So the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Thank God there was a new covenant. Thank God that there was a means and another way given that man could live. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, nor who shall descend into the deep. So let's now turn um, in Deuteronomy. And I did not write down where this one was quoted. So I may not be able to find it very fast. And if I can't, you can just trust me that it's in there. Maybe next time I'll have it ready for you. I was thinking it was about 7 or 8 in Deuteronomy. Okay, so I'm going to give up on that. I'm not going to stand here forever. But it is out of the book of Deuteronomy. And Moses there is speaking of the law. That we didn't have to climb some great mountain, nor did we have to go down into the grave to bring this up, but God brought the law right to Israel's doorstep. God made them aware of that out of the law of God. He brought that to them. Well, Paul is taking that Scripture that Moses spoke and he's applying that here to the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does the righteousness of faith say? We don't have to go up to heaven and bring Jesus down, nor do we have to go down into the grave and bring Jesus up from the dead. You know who did all of that work? God did every bit of that. He did that without me. He didn't need my help. He didn't need my aid. But God, through Jesus, accomplished all of that work. And now, in verse 8, what saith it? The word is nigh thee. So God done this work and delivered this gospel unto man. So let's look now in a place or two in Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 8. Wherefore He saith, when He ascended up on high, He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that He ascended, what is it but that He also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? So if the Word of God, the the second person of the Godhead, God the Son, 
If He was in glory with God in eternity past, if He was there in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, if He was one of those when God said, let us, if God the Son was one of those, then for Him to be a man, He had to descend. You see that? He descended from the glory of God and became incarnate. He lived in a flesh. But you know, He descended even farther than just being a man. He descended in humility. He descended in poorness. By all we can read, He only had one possession in the flesh, and that was His robe. And when they killed Him, they took it, and they cast lots to see who was going to get it. He died with nothing to leave, naturally speaking. But not only did He come down with nothing and as nothing, but He came down to death and to give His life, and not just to die of a heart attack or an aneurysm, but to die the suffering death of the cross. And they planted the body of the Son of God, the Word of God, in a tomb, just like you and I would be planted. He descended, and He went as far down as man can go. What's the lowest place a man's going to go? He's going to the grave. And the Lord Jesus went down as far as a man can go, and God brought Him up from the dead. And so, when He ascended, so He went back then, From here unto God. We've got evidence of that in the Scripture. And when He ascended, He led captivity captive. The sin and the guilt that had us captive, He had conquered that. He had won the victory over that. And He took that away from His elect and He gave gifts unto men. He gave the gifts. Important to realize. We'll look at it in just a minute. Now he that ascended, what is it that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth, into the grave? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might feel all things. And he gave. So this is the gifts then. He led captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. What did he give? Apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. That word again, completion, to make full, to make replete. It's the same word. So He gave these men. Now why does the church have preachers? Why does the church have pastors? Why does the church in this earth have teachers that are able to understand the Word of God, rightly divide that, and help us all to grow in understanding of God's Word. It is not because people have of their self dedicated themselves to God and done some great work of themselves and are worthy of your praise and honor because they've worked so hard and they've gained this ability. God gives this. God gave the apostles to the church. God gave preachers 
to the church. God calls them, doesn't He? We'll see that in Romans 10 in just a few verses. God gives them. God calls them. God ordains them. God equips them. God sends them. And God uses them to accomplish His purpose. So do we... Well, thank you, Paul, for all your work. I'd like to hug his neck and tell him thank you. His writings have been a great help to me. But you know what the man would say? I am what I am by the grace of God. God called me, God saved me, and God gave me that. And I just gave it to you as God gave it to me. And if God had not called me, I'd have went on down to Damascus and I'd have thrown the church in jail and I'd have continued to do that all the days of my life. Now every preacher, every teacher, every pastor, every evangelist, every apostle could say those very same words. Paul was the pattern, remember? God said in His Word that Paul was the pattern for everyone that would come after him. So that there is no credit for man, but we say, God, thank you for the understanding and the enlightenment that you've provided us Thank you, God, that you've provided our needs that we could grow in understanding of the Word of God. Because if God didn't call and equip, the church would be left with nothing and we'd have no understanding of the Word of God. No ability to understand it and no means for the gospel to be heralded. The glory redounds unto a Savior that gave His life ascended back to God, sent us the Spirit, and gave gifts unto the church. It's glorious. A glorious work of the Lord Jesus Christ to His name be exaltation and glory for what He's done. And this is a gift. God's gift to the church were these men. You know, we get to say it, and here preaching that I've not done any studying for. May God help me to study because it's my duty. May God help me to pray that the grace of God abound upon me, upon you, upon our brother as he preaches the gospel. But you know the the message that God brings, that's without me working for it. He's wrought that out. That's a gift. God's provided a means that the church could be fed, could be strengthened, and could grow in understanding and knowledge of the Word of God. So he says in Hebrews, you'll recognize this Scripture immediately, when He cometh into the world, He saith and sacrifices and gifts you've had no pleasure. But lo, I come in the volume of a book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. So that's, again, that's Hebrews. That's a quote from the Psalms. That's Old Testament Scripture. So that Jesus came down that He might be the acceptable sacrifice unto God. That now we can come to the high priest, we can come to God the Father through the blood of this perfect and acceptable sacrifice. We are justified. He says this in just one more place. Hebrews chapter 1 and then we'll go on in Romans. 
Hebrews chapter number 1. Verse number 3. Who being the brightness of His glory, and express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He hath, past tense, it's already been done, purged. Listen to what he... I'm going to read it one more time. By Himself purged our sins. The work of Christ is completed. It's done. No more to be added. And He's ascended back to God. He's there sitting. You know what He's waiting on? The Father to say, it's time. Go get Him. His work of salvation is done. There is no more that He needs to do in order that man would be justified. His work's finished. And the Holy Ghost is at work today, illuminating, convicting, and drawing God's elect under the righteousness that's in Jesus Christ. So, uh, what saith it? It's not something that I add to Jesus. It's not something that I do to get Jesus. But what saith it? It's nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. So this word of faith, this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the means that God chose to reach the heart of man. And this is not something we have to travel to get, but God has brought that down individually to our own hearts and to our own minds and to our own lives as we see it, where we sit today, God has brought the gospel, the good news of this work that He's done in Jesus. He's brought that to us right here as we see it. Well, it's because so-and-so started a church here a hundred years ago, and that's absolutely not. If we have a gift, It's come from God. If you have the gospel, it was given by God. God has saw fit that the truth of the gospel has come to us today and it gets even more personal than that. While I've never seen Jesus walk the face of the earth and I've never seen God the Father, I can't look upon Him, the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, and He's he's not a force that God uses to do His work. The Holy Spirit is God. He is as much God as Jesus, and He's as much God as God the Father. Peter says in Acts, Why have you done this, Ananias and Sapphira? You've come and lied to the Holy Ghost. You've not lied unto men, but you've lied unto God. To lie to the Spirit It's not to lie to some force that God's using. You're lying in the face of God Almighty because the Spirit is God. It is the Spirit that is at work today and He brings the Word of God right down. I tell you, we can sit and hear. We can be like the Jews. We can hear Moses read in the synagogue every week and the veil be on our hearts 
and we just can't see the message that's being preached. But the Holy Ghost comes and He takes the veil away. He brings the Word of God and He brings it right down to the heart of man. Think about this now. What did I have to do in order to get to the place that I could call on God for salvation? I mean, you know what I did? I came in and I sat where I always sat, about right there. And God brought the Word to me. And God convinced me. God convinced me of my sin. God convinced me of a Savior. God said you can come to Him and be righteous. God said you can be justified in Jesus. And God brought me there. God put it in my mouth. Did He not? By the Spirit, did God not put in our mouth the cry, God save me? You better believe He did. He brought us to that by the third person of the Godhead. And friends, if God the Father from eternity past being willing to send the Son was necessary for us to be redeemed, and if Jesus coming, walking the earth and giving His life on the cross and resurrecting the third day, if that was necessary for our redemption, both of those are necessary, wouldn't you say? That's not the whole Godhead. There's one more. Just as necessary for me to be saved is the working of the Spirit of God to awaken me from this sleep of death and draw me to the Son of God. All three necessary for redemption. They are one but they're separate as well. They're individuals. They've each got their own duty, their own work. The Spirit ministers the Word of God to our hearts and He brings it right down to where we are that we can say, Oh God, save me by the Spirit of God. That's wonderful, wonderful doctrine. It's wonderful that the Lord came and lived and descended into the grave. But boy, God's made it even more personal than that, that us 2,000 years later, we can have God come to us in the Spirit and effectually call us and draw us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Without that call, without that draw, without the Spirit. Now if you leave God the Father out, if He never makes a plan, and He never has an elect, and He never sends His Son... We're all lost without hope. If the Son, if He says, I'm not going and I'm not dying, we're, we're without hope. If the Spirit does not come to man and draw Him and convict Him and convince Him, it, we are just as much without hope as we would be without the Lord Jesus Christ. It's true. No man can come unto me except the Father draw him. How does God draw him? God draws by the third person of the Godhead. God reconciled the world to Himself with Jesus. And God draws man to Jesus by the Spirit. An amazing and a complete work in the Lord Jesus. That's all we'll go today. Anything on your heart you'd like to say?